Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you? Open them to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, as we finish up our chapter in this fascinating book, following this man, Daniel, a man of purity and a man of prophecy. And today, we are learning about the rewards of obedience. The rewards of obedience. Now, there is a difference between a temptation and a test. And it's important that we understand that distinction. There is a difference between a test that comes from God and a temptation toward evil. Many confuse the two. And because of the confusion, our faithful God often gets blamed for things that are not from him at all. Now, I asked you to open to Daniel. Stay there, put your finger there, and then go back to the book of James. Go back to the book of James, chapter 1, as we learn the difference between a test from God and a temptation toward evil. They are very different, and we don't want to confuse them. The first thing we need to know is a temptation is a solicitation to sin. A temptation is not sin in and of itself. It's a solicitation to sin. Remember, Jesus was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. So if the perfect Son of God, the sinless Son of God, is tempted, then we know that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It's a solicitation towards sin. A test, a test from God, is a solicitation toward faith and trust. Temptations, these solicitations to do evil, don't come from God. We just can't say it's God's fault. Now notice in verse 12 of James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It's interesting, though, because we often confuse the two temptations and tests partly because of the culture that we're in, because we live in a culture that has been conditioned to blame others for their bad behavior. And certainly you've fallen into that trap. I know I have. Where the, in deflecting or defending, we don't take re personal responsibility for our decisions. Even if our responsibility is 10% of the 100%, there's still a resistance to take responsibility for our own decisions. And so we live in a culture that doesn't want to take responsibility for their actions. I mean, if we had a culture that took responsibility for their actions, there'd be no Judge Judy, there'd be no People's Court, there'd be no George, um, Judge Joe, whatever his name is. The, the court systems would be thinned out because everybody would say, it's my fault, how do I make it right? It's my fault. How do I make it right? And the Lord would do so much more in a culture like that. But it seems like it's always someone else's fault. 
It was the way I was raised, you know. That's why I am who I am today. It was the spanking I received. <laughs> it was the one time I didn't deserve it. It was my parents yelling at me. It was the bad oatmeal I ate, whatever it might be. And it seems so much easier just to blame someone else. And we see that's a part of fallen humanity because that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. It, it was when Adam was confronted by God, his response was, no, not me, God. It was the woman that you gave me. And by the way, men are still using that lame excuse till, to, to this day. So just stop it. Take responsibility. A believer in Jesus Christ takes responsibility for their own actions. And the remedy for our responsibility is to repent of our sins, to turn away from our bad behavior, or in a very simple way, to stop it. And you know, those that were born again tonight not only can decide to stop it now, but according to God, they now have the power, the innate spiritual power to stop that behavior. It's not just their own willpower. It's not just a few habits to develop and a few scriptures to read. It's the very power of God inside of us. It's common for men and women to blame someone else. James says that when we're tempted, we can't blame God. Temptation doesn't come from God. A lot of time is spent in ministering to other people, in biblical counseling, in discipleship, trying to convince the person we're talking to that the mess that they're in is of their own doing. I can't tell you how many different angles we try to take with you to try to convince you of your own responsibility. But you can check in your own heart and you can find in your own heart that whenever the word but comes up, that you are on the path of not accepting responsibility. Sometimes we think accepting responsibility is approving of other people's bad behavior. We're not even dealing with the other person yet. We're just dealing with you. Yeah, but you don't, but, really, but, tell me, tell me what, tell me what is going to follow that but. Go ahead, tell me, tell me. And as you begin to talk, listen to your own language. This is going to be helpful for you. Listen to your own language, whether it's internal or it comes out of your mouths. When you respond uh, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, but go ahead and dismiss everything you just said because what you're about to say is what you really mean. What, you, what follows that but is your defense. It's your reason. It's my excuse for being on the course that I'm on. And we've been conditioned this way. It's part of our fallen humanity. And even though things are tough, there's hope in the Lord. He can change a person. He can change a situation. Your cooperation is necessary, though. And the first thing to do, don't blame God. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that you and I have chosen to sin or that someone's chosen to sin against us. It's not God's fault. You know, for example, and it's, a, it's kind of a silly example, but you'll get it when I share it with you. Somebody comes and says, you know, Pastor, I was really tempted the other day. I just can't believe God would just tempt me like that. I was sitting in a bar drinking a Diet Coke, and I ended up getting drunk. Come on now. You got a problem with alcohol? Yeah. Then what are you doing in a bar? Well, God led me there. No, he didn't lead you there. Or me and my girlfriend, you know, we just can't, we just can't stop 
having, fighting the temptation to have sex. You know, ever since we moved in together and started sleeping in the same bed, we just can't fight. Come on, man. And yet that permeates the church of Jesus Christ, that kind of behavior. And just not taking responsibility. Temptations don't come from God. The exact opposite. God gives you the strength to resist temptation. He gives you the strength, as we learned today in Daniel, to get ahead of it, to get far beyond it. Remember Daniel, this teenage boy, was kidnapped, brought into the upper courts of Babylon. He, he is the smartest. He is the best looking. And they're going to brainwash him in all the Babylonian cult, customs and culture. And yet, remember, he was purposed and he was intentional to not defile himself. And he was able to go so far. And they said, no, I'm not going to go that far. And he's not going to erase that line with compromise. And remember, come back with me in verse 8, and we're going to weave together the New Living Translation, the New King James, so I'm going to read to you from the New Living. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days. So Daniel's getting ahead of the game. He's getting ahead. He hasn't even been brought into that environment yet. And so God has empowered this young boy to get ahead of the game. He says, look, I'm going to take control. I, I am in a foreign land. I am a kid separated from my family. There is no, I don't know what the future holds for me. I don't know what they're trying. I, I get an idea of what they're trying to do to me. You know, everything is against him. And you might feel today that everything is against you. And we learn from Daniel that even when you feel like everything is against you, everything is not against you. Because by faith in Jesus, God is not against you. And you can get ahead of the curve. As the Lord speaks to you, says, you know, I'm going to take my stand. And I'm going to ask. And I'm going to determine. And I'm going to be purposed in my living. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my stand. And I'm going to take my chances. And I'm going to cast my lot with God. You'll never go wrong casting your life and lot with God. Never. It doesn't matter how it feels. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. It doesn't matter how many people turn on you. You will not go wrong by choosing to obey God. And it says in verse 13, he gives him, he says, you know, just give us this diet of, for 10 days of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men. Verse 13. Just see how we look. Compare us. Then make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Daniel asked for a test. He took control of the situation respectfully. Uh, I think, you know, encouraged. And what he was asking for is that in all the things they're going to do to him, what he was asking for is that he continued to be able to eat according to the law of God. Can you just let me eat? 
Uh, and today we would, what we would probably say today is that, can you just allow me to continue to eat a kosher diet? I want to honor my God by what I put into my body. And the, he's responded by, you know, I might, I might lose my life. I'm not giving up my life for you, kid. And then he reasoned him with him and said, no, go ahead, just, just test us. Ten days, just test us. I mean, that, those are words of confidence. Those are words of courage and faith. Daniel is demonstrating here a dependency upon the Lord. He wasn't doing this in his own wisdom. He didn't develop this, on, this theory. He's responding in the presence of God. And, and we ask, hypothetically, well, what if it didn't work? What would happen to Daniel? What if it didn't work? Would he compromise? And don't you ask the same questions about your own life. It's one of the reasons why it's very difficult for you to take a stand because you're always trying to figure out what it's going to cost you if it doesn't work. What's it going to cost? What if it doesn't work? What, what if this decision I make, what if it doesn't work and I lose my job, my reputation? What if they make fun of me? What if I uh, lose a friend? What, 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 what is it that I'm going to lose? But see, Daniel is looking to what he's going to gain. He's gaining credibility. He's gaining faith. He's gaining resolve. I was speaking to a few people this week, and it seems like there's always a theme of the phone calls that I take. And this week's theme was kind of boiled down to making really hard decisions of faith and then being faced with ridicule. And, and some, you know, in one case, I was talking to a brother yesterday. It's a very difficult situation that he's facing because he believes he's making a decision under the Lord. And so we talked about it and we prayed through it. And then I, I brought each of, the, each of the people I spoke to about this this week, I brought them to this and I want to share it with you because I just think it's so profound because sometimes we evaluate our steps of faith and obedience by this phrase. Well, what's the worst that can happen? And we ask that. And it's an assessment tool in our, in our lives. What's the worst that can happen? And so then what do we do? We start to think, well, if the worst that can happen is I lose my job, the worst that can happen is this, and the worst that can happen, then you come up with that, and then usually you weigh the balances, and then you kind of look at the worst, and, and you go, okay, then I'll make my decision. But I want you to know that that's a faulty way to make your decisions, because I'm going to give you the answer to that question every single time you ask it for the rest of your life. Because of all that you have come up with, What's the worst that can happen in this? Well, Ed, you know, this could happen, this could happen, this can happen. Okay, those are really bad, difficult things. I don't disagree. But I'm going to answer this question the rest of your life. Anytime you ask this question as a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, when you ask the question, what's the worst that can happen? Here's the answer. You ready? The worst thing that can happen is that you choose to disobey God. That's the worst that can happen. It's not what you might lose. It's not even losing your life. That those that could kill the body but not touch the soul. We, 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 we live in fear. We, we live in the fear of man. But see, the worst that can happen is that we're out of fellowship with God, that we live lives of disobedience and compromise, and we live this low-level life and not enjoy the presence of God in our lives, not abiding in Him. You see, Daniel, if we ask the hypothetical question, you know, would he compromise? The answer is no. 
and we get that from the text, Daniel in verse 8 has already purposed in his heart. He's not going to compromise. I know we can read the rest of the book, but if we only got one chapter a a week, I could tell you with confidence, he's not going to compromise. Ooh, what's going to happen? It's not going to be compromise. It's not going to be him backing down. He's taken a step of faith here. He's trusting the Lord in a part of his life. And you know, it's always an exciting thing to give God a chance to work in your life. It's always exciting. I believe God wants us to be a part of all that he's doing. God's never stops working, so it's important for us to discover what he's doing and get along with it. Going forward, you know, you're always going to find the will of God in the moment. It's not 30 years ago. It's not 60 years ago. The will of God is now. What's God doing now? And it might be different than 10 years ago. And it might be different than 20 years ago. It might be different than 30 years ago. And that's a good thing. We don't live in the past. We live in the moment. If you abide in me, Jesus says, I'll abide in you. We live in the moment. And, you know, we've learned, haven't we? We love the past. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's our story. But we live in the future. We live for what God has. We look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. We don't look backwards for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Right? Are you guys all with me so far? Daniel's so strong. He's not living in the past. He's not longing for Judah. He's not wishing he had what he had before. He's living in the moment. And in the moment, he's assessing. This is all happening just real time. He goes, okay, I, I, can, I can learn and not compromise. I, I, can, I, I can learn the customs. You change my name. Change, you, you can change my name, but you won't change my identity. Change my name. But eating is day by day, moment by moment. And Daniel's making a commitment to live godly, righteously in the moment. And how much of our lives have we lost living in the past? Regret and anger, whatever emotions that come from the past. How many, how, how many, how many, how many of us have wasted our time living in the future? Anxious and worried. What's going to happen? You know, there you are worrying about retirement. What am I going to do for retirement? And how am I going to, what's going to happen when I, and you're only in kindergarten, man. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You'll get there when you get there. And there'll be somebody God puts in your life. Put a plan together. But don't, why are you worried about it? Jesus said, don't worry. It doesn't add anything. Let's give God a chance. Start praying about your life, church. And let's give God a chance to work, not just as a church. The leadership, we're, God's stirring up the leadership of your church. But I wonder if he's stirring you up. What's he doing in your life? I know the past is hard. I know. I have one. But it's over. I'm moving forward. What's God got for me in the future? And you know, he's probably got some difficulty ahead. I'll meet it when I get there. I'm not going to try to guess what it is and ruin today. <laughs> It'll come soon enough. There'll be another email. I know it. I I know there'll be another phone call. I I know there'll be another sickness. I know there'll be, I know. In this world, you'll have tribulation. I know. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Daniel's a man of purpose. He's committed. We need to open ourselves to a work of God. Verse 15 At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished 
than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. The Lord blessed them and rewarded their obedient dependence. This was an obvious blessing of God. Their obedience and commitment was blessed by God. Now, it's good to be reminded that serving God requires that we do things His way. It does. It requires us to know God. It requires us to understand Him. To serve God acceptably involves doing the will of God the right way at the right time with the right motives. We don't have permission to alter the commandments of God. We don't have permission to rewrite the Bible to fit our own comfort. We don't have permission to buckle under the pressure of the culture and change the eternal decrees of God. We don't. There are consequences of obedience and there are consequences of disobedience. You choose. There are consequences of obedience and consequences of disobedience. Of course, for obedience, we don't often think of consequences. It sounds like a negative word, but I use the same word on purpose. You could say there are benefits of obedience and there's consequences of disobedience, but I want you to know that either way, you're going to face consequences because sometimes there is consequences for obedience, painful ones. And when it comes down to a decision like this, I'm not perfect in this, but I've wanted to train myself. I want to train my kids. <clears throat> I want to train those I have the opportunity to teach and be a part of their lives that I would far rather endure the consequences of obedience than the consequences of disobedience. And those of you that have experienced the difference in your life, you understand the consequences of disobedience are far more painful and far more destructive because of our sinful decisions. Because the wages of sin is always death. So here we have, the, they do look better. Ten days later, they look better. You see, the important thing to know in the Bible is that all the way through the Bible, you will find parallel passages where God is more interested in your obedience, in your following Him, in your abiding relationship with Him, than in making sacrifices for Him. You think, well, Ed, I'm a churchgoer. Wow. You know unbelievers are churchgoers too? Did you know that? A lot of unbelievers hang out in church. Never get saved. Never deal with sin. But it feels good. And their conscience is fe It feels good to be around. You know, I love God. And really never surrender their lives. And so it's not, God is not looking for churchgoers. He's not impressed with a full building. God is not more joyful. He's not more exuberant. He doesn't love us more because 19 years ago, this church was 30 people, 30 adults, and a few kids. And now today, 20 years later, there are more people here than 30. God isn't going, oh, yay, you've done such a great job. I love you more. There's a church across the street. There's only 30 people. I don't love them very much. Just like I didn't list, used to love. Doesn't that sound dumb? Does it, that's not God's heart. God doesn't judge that way. We judge that way. Pastors get into all that business. 
It's like, oh man, we got to fill the room. Hey man, that's God's responsibility to fill a room. I'm not here to fill a room. I'm here to feed the flock and to give the word of God and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and let God do what he wants to do with people. And that's one of the attributes in your church family. If you're new to Calvary Church, you got to understand the so much of what we do here as a church, we actually never see the result because of technology, because we're just super hyper aggressive in getting the gospel outside of this building. I don't believe it's God's will for us to abandon the gathering of the saints. I don't believe it's God's will for us to abandon the times where we get to serve and sing and enjoy and get to know each other. God created the church and I didn't. And yet he also has taught us that the church isn't confined by four walls. And so like we were talking about this today because not only do we get to benefit of, not only do we get the benefit through technology to share in the victories of people, but we also have quite a bit more of ministry to hurting people that will never ever walk in this church. We'll never meet them by, we'll never see them until heaven. And that's it. We're just continually investing in evangelism and continually investing in how can we, how can we harness technology for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it's not about filling this room, but if God wants to fill the room, we'll add another service. We've done that before. And if he wants to shrink the room, then we'll all go get a job. And I, what I mean by that is the men and women on staff. We all know what it's like to work. That's how we started. And, and we would serve the Lord, get a job and serve the Lord. Whatever he asked for us in these last days. Listen, the consequences of obedience, it's not making sacrifices for him, giving of your tithes, throwing up a prayer, coming to church, singing. God is more interested in you than what you do. Because that's where obedience flows. It flows from the heart. And God wants us to be in tune with him because then he'll lead us to what to do. You know, for the person abiding in Christ, giving is not a problem. So can I suggest to you that if you have a problem giving of your tithes and offerings, you have a problem giving of your time, you have a problem giving, and I mean you don't give, you have a problem of abiding in Christ. That's your problem. And you go, no, Ed, my problem, I ain't got no money. Okay, that's not... Your problem is abiding. The spiritual side of your problem is abiding. Because even if you have a dollar, God says 10% of that belongs to him. Dollar. If you find a dollar on the street, 10% belongs to the Lord right off the bat. Not after you figure out what you want to do with it. It's right off the bat. Why? Because every good gift and every perfect thing comes from the Father above. And everything is increased to us. We've looked at that in previous studies. I was thinking about this in my own life and my own marriage because Marie and I have often had a problem in this area. I, Marie doesn't have the problem. I have the problem in this area because I love to give. That's part of my life. That's part of my nature. I'm a giving. I love to give. So I have no problem stopping by and picking up flowers or picking up chocolates or whatever. Just to give, I love you, Marie. I love you, Marie. And she looks at the flowers and I'm like, eh. Put them in a vase. And in the early days, I'm like, what's your, what, this, this is a problem because I like to give flowers. Well, Marie loves to receive gifts, just not flowers. She loves to receive gifts, but certain things don't, don't matter to her. She would much rather want, she would much rather receive from me the gift of vacuuming. 
what a stupid gift that is. <laughs> but that's, she would, re- she would, it would be readily received from her. She would much rather receive the gift of putting the dishes in the dishwasher or keeping the house clean or uh, we already do our own laundry, so that was her gift to us. We do our own laundry. But, and, and I learned that, married couples. Maybe you have never read this book. You should read it. It was eye-opening to me. Uh, I think it's, is it the five love language? Five love, langu- love languages. And so Marie's love language to receive is acts of kindness, acts of things that will take a load off her. Me, flowers. <laughs> Give gifts. And I needed to learn to adjust but you know, that in the, in the human realm, um, think about that, how, how that would, here God, here I am, here I am, I, I'm, all, I'm lifting my hands to you. And God says, I don't want you to lift your hands to me, obey. No, take my hands, it's easier. I don't want to obey, I don't want to vacuum. Just take my hands. Here, I'm writing a check, I, here, here's my offering. I don't want your offering, I want your obedience. Nah, it's easier to write a check. Or to go online and put in the recurring gift. And it's not either or. It's like, oh, well, if I just obey, then I'll never have to give. No, 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 it's not either or. And men, <laughs> listen, if your wife doesn't like flowers, get them any way. And vacuum. It's like, well, you, you just let me off the hook. I don't have to. No, no. You still continue to be who you are, but think of others more highly than yourself. That's what Jesus taught us. That when we go into the world and we, we are doing things and we're like, well, well, didn't I do that for you? And you're like, but yeah, that doesn't really communicate love to me. That actually communicates selfishness to me. You did what was easy for you. You did what was comfortable for you. You did what you like to do. And you, in a lot of tension in relationships is simply because that hasn't been hashed out. You haven't been honest. You haven't expressed how you feel. And so in expressing that, you begin to learn one another and you begin to serve one another and then the Holy Spirit just fills you so that you're only thinking about one another and now I'm finding new things that would make my wife happy. I'm not saying I'm doing them, I'm just saying I found them (laughs) because I have a lot of room to improve as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as an overseer. But you know what marks the believer is that I want to improve. I want God to show me these things. I want to grow in his grace and his knowledge. God is desiring our submission to his lordship. The grace of God, the abiding life of God does not dismiss obedience. It actually encourages obedience. I think it's back in Titus where the Bible says that grace teaches us to stay away from sin, to make decisions. The grace of God teaches us to make decisions to stay away from youthful worldly lusts and to live obedient lives. An abiding life, Daniel is right there. Daniel is right there. God is more pleased with our attitude and brokenness toward him than our outward actions with a hard heart. You don't want to be in a place where, like Saul, you do what you want to do and then offer it to God. You want to do what God wants you to do. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. 
And when training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and no one was impressed, no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the king, or the reign of King Cyrus. Listen, as we wind down today, when we give God our energy, our talents, our abilities, God will not be a debtor to us. They came from him to begin with. But he will give back to you exceedingly abundantly more than can be counted. God blesses obedience. He blesses the obedient man and the obedient woman. Even if nobody understands, everybody tries to talk you out of it, God blesses obedience. I think of the disciples who gave their boat so that he might use it to teach from. I think of the little boy that had a few loaves and a few fish, and Jesus took it and fed thousands. And now we see these young men here tremendously blessed. They were blessed, notice in verse 20, 10 times more. 10 times more than anyone. Not only favor with God, but favor with man. The truth is that you can't outgive God. Never. And as I recently learned, Pastor Chuck Smith, our pastor, the, the man that has taught us the Bible for many years, he adopted the, the principle in his own personal life that he was determined to try to outgive God. He was determined. And from personal experience, I learned of what a giving man he is. And what his heart was to give and be open to the Holy Spirit and to enjoy the fruit of the ministry. And we can do the same and we can go beyond. We can't outgive God. So listen, those of you that are younger here, those of you that even have parenting, parenting responsibilities, one of the greatest lies of the devil is try to get kids to think that if they try to serve God, you're going to be unpopular. You're not going to fit in. You're going to stand out and you're going to regret that decision. Listen, if you're at school and you stand up for Jesus, you're going to lose everything. If you're at work adult and you stand up for Jesus, you might be fired. And while the failing and the firing and the difficulties might be true, the real lie is that if you stay quiet, all will go well. That's the real lie. So you say, well, if I speak up, I might pay a price. The real lie is, if you stay quiet, all will go well. The worst thing that can happen is that you disobey God. Say that with me. The worst thing that can happen is disobey God. Don't forget that. That's the worst thing that can happen. That, that's, the, that's the decision that places on the path against God. That's the decision that puts us at odds with God. We are the salt and the light of the earth, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. And here before us in our study, we have four young men who stood for their God. We have four young men, you that are younger, you young men and women that took a stand for God and benefited from it. Parents, as we learned recently, the most important thing for your kids is not what school they'll go to or what career they'll be in. 
The most important thing for your kids is that they're in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That we got to get our kids to Jesus. And the only way to get our kids to Jesus, the only way to take our kids to the cross is to be familiar with where the cross is and to be there ourselves. Because you know what? Kids are going to go where we go. They're going to follow in our footsteps. And if they perceive that the path of least resistance is following you, mom and dad, that's the way they'll go. But if they see a mom or a dad standing for what is right, doing what is hard, facing the difficulties, pressing in, enduring, it speaks volumes. Now, they may never sit down and go, you know what, dad? Thank you for your endurance. You just, they, you may never hear that, but you can see it. You can watch it. And it's never too late to turn back. How do we get to that place of, of, of where Daniel is as a kid? Well, remember, it's a decision of purpose, met by a decision of purpose. Decisions of purpose beget more decisions of purpose. I would even dare to say that every decision we make is an intentional decision. Nobody accidentally disobeys God. Nobody accidentally. Now, the Bible does speak of stumbling, and, and there are times where the circumstances of our life have been set up where it's not as willful as maybe a more willful decision. I know the Bible makes those distinctions. Sin is sin. And may we just abide in Christ, because when we're in Him, we're not sinning. And that's a beautiful place to be. We're not messed up. We're not all jacked up. We're not worried. We're not fretting. We're not aching over the past, worried about, like in Christ, we are confident, we are secure, we are comforted, we are, we are whole, we are hidden. Everything about our lives is Christ. And that's a great place to be. And may in our hearts we decide today not to defile ourselves with the world, with the world system, and the temptations of life. Daniel had a firm foundation. And we see in 20, by the end of chapter 1, verse 21, Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. From 605 B.C. to 536 B.C., Daniel influenced this nation. Unbelievable. God used him because he purposed in his heart. Can I close with 1 John chapter 2? Would you turn there with me? 1 John chapter 2. And if today you find yourself in a place where you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sins, you've never determined to follow God, today is that day. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the things that you're living for today, the things that you're involved with today, the things that you believe are giving you purpose and meaning, you know, you know that they're not. They're giving you temporary satisfaction, temporary happiness, temporary joy. But you gotta keep going. You gotta keep doing it. You gotta keep showing up. You gotta keep going to the party. You gotta keep making more money. You gotta keep drinking more, smoking more, snorting more, popping more. You gotta, you're, you're, it's just more, 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 more. Why? Because the stuff of this world doesn't satisfy. Notice in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 in First uh, John, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, or you could say is not of God. The stuff in this world is not of God. It's of the world. And the world is passing away, just like the bottle empties, just like the marijuana cigarette disappears, like the brownies completely eaten, like the relationship, they run out on you. You always got to get more. It's running out. The world's passing away. We see it every day. And even the lust of it. But notice verse 17. He who does the will of God abides forever. That's where it's at, church. And may we follow in footsteps of Daniel to purpose and intentionally live our lives to please him no matter what. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here together tonight for the work of your Holy Spirit in our midst, ministering the love and mercy and grace that's available to us through a faith in you. We rejoice in these precious ladies that dedicated to following you today. I pray for them. I pray for their commitment and their resolve. I pray that they would follow Daniel and commit and determine no matter what the cost, that they would obey you, not just do things for you, but obey you. I pray for the wavering in the weak here tonight that when we speak of obedience, it immediately just stirs up so much in them. I pray for that resolve in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I ask you, God, to pour your Spirit out upon us as a church. And may you have your way in our lives. And may we be faithful, giving, serving, loving. May we just find our joy and happiness in you. May we look beyond the hardships and look to the cross, the place of beauty, the place of victory, the place that you turn everything upside down. What was meant to to kill brought life. What was meant to demoralize only exposed your great love. And so, Father, as we leave here, may you be glorified and May we leave encouraged and strengthened. And may we find our strength and rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.